Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. A little bit of um, embarrassment yesterday in the swimming pool when I went swimming because I got to the changing rooms and pulled out my swimsuit, which I haven't worn for a couple of weeks because I've been away and faffing around and catching up. And um, it it had perished. <laughs> you know how they go? The elastic goes. This is not like when you told us about the rolled up sock in your gusset. No, no, no it's, I know what you mean. It's the same swimsuit, but this swimsuit, right. the elastic's all gone or whatever is in it. And you know how it all puckers and goes a bit see-through? And yes, I, And usually on the sort of boob area and the bum area, which <laughs> this one had. And I just thought, do I just not swim and go home? Do I be all Marian and prudish-like and go home? Yeah. Or do I just think, hell with it all and... Um, I, I did. I went swimming. Bit see well, bit see through and baggy. What you as your mum would say, and my mum as well, no one's looking at you, Trish. Yeah. <laughs> no one's looking at you in your baggy swimsuit, with your baggy knees and your, your baggy bottom baggy and all the saggy, else. baggy everything else. Yes, no one's looking. True. You just live your best life in the fast lane. <laughs> Hello. Hello. Welcome to Postcards from Midlife. I'm Trish Halpin. And I'm Lorraine Candy. And we're on a mission to help you make the most of your magnificent midlife. We'll be tackling everything from mind and body wellness to HRT and your sex drive. Trish and I are here to help you have a stylish second act and answer all your midlife questions on fashion, beauty, careers, relationships, family, and as always, the challenges and joys of parenting teens. Here we are again, settling nicely into Series 7 of Postcards from Midlife. I think you could say our behinds are now firmly back in the saddle after the summer break. Well, I don't know how firm yours is, Trish. (laughs) Mine's not firm. I've eaten a load of Cornish cream teas over the summer. Um, But I am positively giddy with excitement. Some of the guests we've got lined up for our new series. We kicked off last week with the fabulous wellbeing expert and Menopause After Cancer podcast host, Danny Binnington. She of the lovely hair. She's absolutely Mm. brilliant. I loved meeting Danny. She was a great interview and I highly recommend listening to that if you haven't heard it yet. And we have a deluge, don't we, Trish? deluge. Marvellous midlife women from all walks of life queuing up to come on the show this season, including TV presenters, best-selling novelists, prize-winning novelists, fitness gurus and a Lord Mayor, no less. Mm, Intriguing. And um, thanks to all of you who put your suggestions on the Facebook group for who to interview, because we love to hear your ideas for guests and topics, as well as your brain fog bloopers, your teenagers' brain farts, your midlife dilemmas, all the highs and lows, in fact, of this wonderful time of life. Yes, I popped a picture of us um, on our jolly holidays Mm. on the group, just in case anyone was missing us over those summer weeks. And um, I wanted to find out as well what everyone else had been up to. What an adventurous lot 
yeah, <laughs> our followers are, our community is. Well, thank you, Helen, for posting a picture of yourself hiking along the West Highland Way. And another Helen, camel trekking somewhere in the desert. She didn't say why. And Susan posted a very glamorous picture of herself and three equally stylish other midlifers saying, just back from a girls only holiday in Morocco with my sister, my best friend and her sister. Best holiday ever without the kids mm. or hubby that's the magic imagine ingredient that <laughs> imagine that i can do with none of those i think mm. probably in the next year or so trish just put it on your to-do yes. list because i went to cornwall with i think hordes of teenagers yes. celebrating the end of their a levels and i just i don't know if i'd call it a holiday given all the dishwasher no, towel shenanigans that occurred yes. but it was lovely being around all those yeah. wonderful girls just about yes. to start their new life And continuing the adventures from the Facebook group were Tammy, who was horse riding in Yosemite. That got you a bit jealous, didn't it? I know, that's on my bucket list. I want to go and stay on a ranch in South America. And ride a horse called Nancy, like um, Tammy did. Very nice. And then we had about the cowboys, Trish. (laughs) (laughs) Never mind the horses, yeah. (laughs) Carly was cycling the Hebridean Way. And slightly less adventurous, but fairly intrepid nonetheless, I would say, was Nicole Mounting, if that's the right word, a pedalo in the sea. She's not the right word. She got down the slide. And Bid, who was crocheting on the beach in Comperta. Now, do you have any idea where Comperta is, Lorraine? Is this another one of your... I've got a bigger brain than yours geography quizzes <laughs> for me, compared to... Now, does that feel like it might be somewhere in Spain, possibly? Oh, so close. So close. I have to confess, I, I had to look it up as well. I don't even it's know what's close to Spain. Portugal, you Well, I think you need to sharpen up, my friend, because we have expanded our reach. We now have some lovely group members from Israel as well. Some new members, including Brenda in Galilee, Estelle in Jerusalem, and Sharon in Beit Hashmanay. I'm sure I pronounced that wrong, so I do (laughs) apologise. I think you have. (laughs) Well, it's spelt... B-E-I-T, so, but uh, do feel free to correct us on that, and apologies if we have uh, pronounced it wrong. But everyone in the Midlife Gang is welcome. We'd like to hear about everything that you're doing, actually. Um, it's time to crack on, though, and tell you what we have in store today. Our special guest is the 90s party girl turned fashion and interior designer, Pearl Lowe. She's going to be coming on to talk to us about how she recovered from a drug addiction and created a new life and family along the way. Yes, and Lorraine and I are going to also be facing our own personal fears as we confront our empty nests with our kids heading off to university any day now. So in How to Win at Midlife, parenting expert Dr. Gory Seth has been sharing with us how to manage all the transitions and challenges parents may be facing at this time of the year, whether it's university, starting secondary school or heading into those big exam years. I think you've got all of those. (laughs) It's all happening. You're so of children, exactly. <laughs> and I'm here for you, Trish, because I, I, mm. who knows what's going to happen after that moment when those mm. lovely twins of yours head off into the big wide world. We have got a lot of chatting to do about that today, so let's crack on with it. 
Today's guest is a fashion and interior designer whose life has been one of Gen X's most talked about adventures. A teenage wild child, Londoner Pearl Lowe started out as a singer with the band Powder, who toured with Suede and The Verve. She was at the heart of the Primrose Hill party set whose all-night escapades came to define a cultural moment in the 90s. But behind the glamour, Pearl, now 52, was deeply unhappy. In her riveting best-selling memoir, All That Glitters, the mum of four chronicles how she transformed her life after becoming addicted to heroin, reinventing herself and moving to the country to focus on family and work. She's been sober for 17 years, during which time she has written four interior books, renovated two houses, launched a sell-out line of dresses and brought up Alfie, 25, Frankie, 23 and Betty, 16, alongside Daisy, the daughter she had when she was 19. Pearl has been with her partner, supergrass drummer Danny Goffey, for 27 years and she's here today to talk about coping with change, staying creative in midlife, motherhood and the importance of friendship. Welcome to Postcards from Midlife Pearl. Hi. (laughs) (laughs) Right okay so I'm going to start with your lovely life in uh, is it Froome or Frome? How do you say it? Froome. F-R-O-M. Yeah like Broome. In the countryside. We're quite jealous of this lovely beautiful glamorous life you're living in the countryside. Trish spends hours on right move. Tell us this morning what room you're in and what you've done. Ah so I'm in the kitchen. This actually was a dining room when we first bought it. It had a sort of long table and a big chandelier over the table and the lady of the house said I really like the fact that you're the first people that have come in and said they're not going to put a whacking great island in the middle <laughs> and I was like oh no and that's exactly what we did as soon oh. as we sort of <laughs> renovated the house this the hugest island you've ever seen um, has, has been put in so yeah but we did a lot of work I think we've been here nearly six years which is crazy because normally we move every other year but we've managed to stay in this one well there's obviously something about it that you really love you moved out of London in 2005 I think so about 17 years ago really to remove yourself from an environment which you felt wasn't good for your mental physical health but creating that new life away in a totally different environment that must have been quite difficult I would have thought and how did you do that and what advice would you have for anyone maybe like me considering (laughs) such a big transition or a big move yeah it is because I actually was born and bred in London and I went to school in London one of my friends was from London it was a massive massive move I definitely have been thinking about it for a very long time and my husband's from Oxford and when I first met him sort of summer of 95 I remember kind of being quite jealous of his life because he was just sort of you know going around pubs it was really that summer was really hot and and there was all just greenery and and all his everyone knew him and I just thought wow what a life you know it's kind of so different to London it was sort of concrete jungle and kind of and I just thought wow I really like this so for many years we looked at various places and it wasn't until we finally sold our house in Camden that we decided to make the move. And how did you start making friends? And Because you have to get in a car to go anywhere in the country, don't you? <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. And also, when we first moved, I don't think I had a sat-nav. Do you remember? Like, in two- yeah. I don't know if I was mad, but 2005, I was lucky because I had three children in different schools, you know, sort of all age groups. So I could meet 
kind of parents in those years mm. and sort of kind of get the kids to play dates and things like that. And I was pregnant with Betty, um, my youngest. So in a way, I did have a variety of people to choose from to kind of, because I think I'm quite a sociable person. So for me, leaving London and leaving literally every single person that I knew, uh, you know, was quite daunting, obviously. And um yeah, you have to be really brave and meet new people. I was really ready by that point. Yeah. <laughs> so in your book, you talk a lot about that as well. And I'm a big fan of Daisy, as oh. you know, your lovely daughter. She's 33 now. She's a model. Yeah. Um, I God, I think I guess I've known her since she was, you know, when I edited Elle, I used to sit next to her a lot at shows and dinners and things like that. And I always thought what a kind of elegant and polite and really well brought up girl she was, actually, and how sort of normal and sensible she was. And I'm, I was really struck when I read your book that you'd had to hide a lot of yourself from Daisy as a mum just to protect her sort of alongside the addiction. A lot of parts of your life she didn't know about that. It must have been really stressful. How do you look back on that now as a mum in your 50s? Yeah, I think it was because I just did not want her to know any of my kind of addictions. And I think us as a family, we are very normal and we, we're really tight knit especially with my parents and my parents were incredible because I was a teenager when I had her and they sort of said look come on we'll we'll help you know we'll we'll be there for you and I was a single mom as well so it was really hard I had like all my friends were kind of going out and partying things and I was just like no I'm really sorry I've got to babysit tonight do you know what I mean I think I went crazy later on because I'd had that time when all my friends were at uni and going crazy yeah and I was at home with a child I think I kind of let loose a little bit later <laughs> which wasn't great obviously <laughs> and I didn't feel good about myself which is why I kind of you know had to sort of stop everything and leave and and sort of change my whole life because I'd have to put my kids first really mm-hmm. did you always want to be a mum yeah absolutely always I mean I was just I was so into babies and kids from very you know very maternal and so it's just like, you know, I like that kind of tribe thing. It's a funny thing because I was talking to my youngest, Betty, and she was like, you've kind of put me off having kids, mum. <laughs> like, I, just, I don't know if I'm going to have any because <laughs> it's, it's always so hectic. Oh, yeah, because you did go on to have three children then with Danny, including obviously Betty, and she's the yeah. youngest. So is she the only one left at home now? Is there, is there an empty nest going on? What's happening? Because no, we're, I- we're in the middle of all of that, Lorraine and I, with empty nest and... Ah, quite terrifying yeah yeah managed with the the comings and goings yeah so I've still got Betty and Frankie at home so Mm -hmm. I think the pandemic's been quite difficult because obviously I have a son called Alfie who moved to London but before the pandemic he was he's a DJ and he was touring with Fatboy Slim and it was all kind of just about to take off him and then all the gigs stopped he's released an album like a couple of weeks ago but I think it's quite hard for him he's fine he's financially everything so he's now talking about coming back as well I remember saying this to my mom I cried bitterly when Alfie went off to uni and I was like I can't believe it and she said they all come back they all come back I mean I went home when I first had Alfie and lived with my mom for six months and so you know it's just kind of I think they do come back. <laughs> How do you navigate the balance in the house then because well I've got four and they're kind of either perpetually love each other or perpetually hate each other and the bickering is kind of epic around <laughs> what are your kind of family rules around all living together well it's quite hard the, the girls they get on so well but they fight and they fight they're, they're in an argument at the moment about a Mew Mew skirt with <laughs> of, of daisies and she stole it back after Glastonbury and it's, it's like this whole thing you're like in the middle aren't you over a skirt and they're just like these horrible texts that are going on and everything 
And the boy, the boys get on really, really well. But actually, Alfie is very, he's a Libra, and I don't know if anyone believes in all that kind of stuff, but he's a really good, he's sort of like in the middle and he sees both sides and he's kind of like a really good balance in our family. I love it when he's at home because he's just sort of, you know, sees both sides of an argument and everything. So <laughs> it's kind of quite good. But no, we argue like any other family. And, um, and Danny and I obviously have been together for 27 years and we bicker with just like brother and sister sometimes, you know, we're just, we're kind of bickering about this, that and the other. But, um, but I, I don't know. I kind of love it, really. I just, mm-hmm. I just like the madness of it all. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just, I could think because I grew up in a family like that. So I think I've just created that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just recreated the, the similar dynamic. Yeah. What's it like having an older daughter then? So Daisy's 33. It's just, I can't, I mean, at the moment, so my eldest is 20 and um, Trisha's twins are 18. We, we kind of look forward to that future bit when we can kind of be more friends in a way is it different or do you still have to say tidy your room stop leaving the stuff everywhere why don't you call me are you going out late because that never stops maybe (laughs) no daisy's i mean the thing about daisy she's so tidy and she's so lovely and she's great to have around and actually i don't she's the uh, out of all the kids she's the least i see because obviously she's so busy she's in london she's got a very full life and um so (sighs) Yeah, we don't see each other, and um, we don't see each other as much as we'd like. But when we do, we're really close, and it is nice because she's she's a proper woman now, you know. So it's kind of you know, I, I talked about my problems, and she's yeah, she's like my best friend, really. She's talking about maybe moving to the country. Like, I think she will move here when mm. she has kids and things. But it is hard to her living in London. She seems always seems really self-sufficient. I mean, she's always been, you know, ever since she was 17. She she left school early to, to model. I mean, we talked about it a lot. We sat down and we said, look, is this the right thing? And she said, well, look, I'm getting all these jobs and I feel like it's right. And in hindsight, it would have been nice for her because she was so intelligent to have gone to uni and maybe you know because the modeling would have been there whatever you know Mm -hmm. um she'd made that decision so she's been gone since she was 17 Mm -hmm. um and she lived in new york when she was 19 so that was quite hard because i i hardly saw her then i I used to go out and see her but yeah i'm quite used to it are you a disciplinarian mum i mean do you look back at your youth because you were quite you were just you were off out from sort of the age of 13 onwards do you sort of think did you install a lot of boundaries or are you quite relaxed knowing they'll work it out themselves well, I did with Daisy because obviously being a single mum, she was my first. I was very strict. She says that I was the strictest with her. And she always says to Betty, you're so lucky. You've got such a different <laughs> than I had. You can get away with anything. And I can't, you know. So they, I think I've parented them very differently. Mm-hmm. Um, Betty is quite wild. And so I've, but I've been very kind of relaxed with my parenting with her because I just think that she's so strong. She's going to do it anyway. She's, mm-hmm. she, out of all the kids, she reminds me of myself mm-hmm. I look at her and I'm like oh my god I can see myself in her which is not a great thing mm-hmm. but um but the great thing is is that I can maybe maneuver or like guide her in a way yeah. that I yeah. probably have you able. spoken to your your children about what what you went through and what you had to do to recover you know we all worry that our kids are doing too much of of everything is, is that a particular worry for you because of what yes. you went through yourself yeah I mean I'm lucky with two of them so basically Daisy and Frank they're really into their fitness Daisy hardly drinks I mean she's amazing she's she never has she's just hasn't got that gene and neither is Frank but Alfie and Betty are quite wild and sometimes I sit down with Alfie I mean Alfie read my book when 
he was 12, he said. Mm-hmm. He said he took it off the bookshelf. Wow. He started reading it. <laughs> like, wow. You know, and, um, and I've been very honest with Betty. You know, I've just said, listen, I can't stop you. You're going to do whatever you want to do, but this is the pitfalls and this is what I think that, you know, if you had a bit of a sober life, <laughs> you'd be mm-hmm. successful much quicker. But, you know, it's not all about success. But what I mean is, is that I do basically. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and do you feel guilty Pearl because we all feel that guilt about everything you know working being away not being there missing things forgetting things all of that stuff what, what's your level of mum guilt in midlife I mean I left London when the boys were six and eight and Daisy was maybe 14 15 something I can't remember the exact ages but Betty wasn't even born and she doesn't remember. But I remember, I've forgotten all these things, these amazing things that, and they were babies that, you know, they ask me sometimes and there's, I'm like, I don't, I can't remember. Like, you know, they're like, when did I first, you know, what age was I walking or when did I say this? And it's horrible, isn't it? Because, you know, mm. blur, like a literal. So for me, I feel really quite sad about that. But I guess I, I've given them the most incredible life childhood yeah. I remember Alfie sitting down and saying to me mum I had the best childhood he says to me mum you don't have to worry I had the best life you know so in a way that makes you feel okay about everything mm-hmm. <laughs> I suppose in some you, way yeah you've been on such a journey Pearl and you you often talk about the healing uh, and the support that you you've had I suppose going through this and the counselling what have you learned about yourself as you've aged and particularly into kind of midlife that might be useful to our listeners well I think that you can only do the best with the tools that you have and that's what I've learned as a you know at that time whatever for whatever reason I had to go through whatever I had to go through and the thing is I wouldn't be here now talking to you about you know and have the life that I have if it wasn't for that I don't think I would have been able to live in the country had I not have gone through that crazy time in London Mm -hmm. because I never ever think oh I wish I was in London partying you know because I've done it you know I've done everything and I'm kind of I'm so happy with you know, being here and tranquil and, you know, sort of a very sort of simple, hectic life. (laughs) But I think for my age now, like that I've kind of got to this point where I try not to look in the past. I try Mm. to live in the moment and enjoy everything and just reach for the joy. And, you know, anything that brings me joy, I try and Mm -hmm. do (laughs) this kind of, so for instance, like, creativity really makes me so happy so I'm kind of every day I make sure that I'm creating something that I love mm-hmm. otherwise I get a bit down did you do therapy did you have counseling yeah. is, is that useful do you think is she, yeah. for women as they age I, I think it's honestly I think it's absolutely imperative I, I just think that everyone should especially if you're finding the aging process difficult because of course we are I look at Betty I I shot Betty yesterday in my campaign and she's so you know the skin and that she just she just puts on everything and looks incredible it's just like I'll put on the same dress and go oh my god you know I can't wear that (laughs) you know what I mean you just there's a part of you you just think oh it's such a shame I can't but then it is surface stuff so I see this amazing guy who I who got me sober basically and he's been unbelievable for our whole family so anytime anyone's got a problem I send them to him and because he's just fantastic I see him whenever I feel wobbly Mm, it's a good idea I think isn't it we talk about the clothes that you make uh you make beautiful dresses you make swimsuits and and actually we know we've got Betty in the campaign but really they're for women of all shapes and sizes You're, you're very clear that fashion isn't about having a certain figure so tell us about the clothes and what are you working on at the moment in terms of the clothes I I find that I can't wear designer stuff because I've got 
hips, bum, boobs, you know, mm. and a little few little bit rolls and things. And then I, like, <laughs> and I go into a shop and I, I'll try on something and I just go, oh my God, these are for skinny people. You know, this is that they just never have worked. So I started creating clothes simply because I could not find anything mm -hmm. to suit myself so I would find like vintage dresses I always I take a lot of inspiration from the 30s and the 40s and the 50s where women were a bit more mm -hmm. you know voluptuous maybe so and then I just create styles from that so recently I've done swimwear and I've done skirts because I know I like to wear skirts when I go swimming and little hats because I don't like mm -hmm. my hair getting all with all the chlorine and everything so I've been doing all that kind of stuff and the reason why I always use Betty and Daisy is because they both got boobs and they're both mm -hmm. a bit you know voluptuous so and I've been looking online and, and actually there are agencies now they're plus size so but they're plus size, size, size 10 it's so mm -hmm. mad you know it's kind of I always think that's so nuts that a size 10 is a plus size I know um, it's quite mad isn't it so I've always wondered how Daisy navigated that and how she kept her self-esteem so kind of robust because I was listening to the Kate Moss Desert Island Discs and I just didn't realize that she'd gone through such horrors um yeah. as a teenager kind of on her own how did how did Daisy get that self-esteem how did you help her with that well Daisy did have a lot of that as well yeah and only recently she's been sort of telling me some stories about photographers that were just trying to make and take mm. a clothes off or coming on to her and you know Daisy was very sexual at that age as well Daisy's always been very comfortable with her body you know yeah I don't know, stripped off and doesn't care you know so I think they possibly got the wrong message Sometimes, I don't know. But I know that she, I think with certainly modelling, I mean, I, I don't know if you watched that programme recently, that the one about the French agencies, but it really freaked me because I knew some of the models in there. It was so dark, but you just think, God, I'm letting my daughter go into that agent, you know, that field. And it's just, it's awful. I guess she can talk to you. That's kind of the main yeah, yeah. thing, no, no. isn't it? So... I mean, she, I don't think she actually told me at the time, but recently mm. she's been saying, oh, my God, yeah, this happened. And, you know, but she's very strong, Daisy, and she's very into her women with bodies and not having to diet. She doesn't believe in diets. She's She works out. I don't know how she copes because, you know, to be in the public eye like that and not be yeah. sick in, you're going to be... Especially with this. Well, there's it's controversy either way, isn't it? I was just talking yesterday to someone about the picture of Nicole um, Kidman on the cover mm. of Perfect magazine, where oh, yeah. she's very ripped and she's obviously exercises a lot. And there's been a lot of criticism about her trying to hold back the years. It's quite yeah. difficult when you're mm. in the public eye, isn't it? How has aging felt for you? How was your midlife journey physically? It's so hard. I read some articles sometimes. I think, how are you saying that's bollocks? You know, I'm sorry, but like, mm. you know, it's so hard. Like you sort of look a certain way and then suddenly you turn into 40s and then 50s I mean for my 50th birthday I literally wanted to just go to bed and not wake up again <laughs> I mean, just I was like I just cannot believe I am 50 like 50 just sounded like so old yeah it's, but having said that it's annoying because inside I like myself so much more but mm -hmm. Outside, it's just, as long as there's no mirrors, I'm fine. Um, but, <laughs> but the mad thing is, is that it is hard, the aging thing. And 
especially in the public eye, because I don't want to do surgery and I don't want to have Botox. But mm. then I've got sort of lines and stuff like that. And so then people go, oh, she's a bit, she looks a bit old. But then if I did have all that stuff, they'd say, oh, she looks a bit weird. Mm. <laughs> so yeah. You can't win, really, can you? Yeah. You either look weird or you look old. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and what about, um, you know, we talk on this show, one of the themes is, is around perimenopause and menopause. How aware or prepared, because we weren't prepared at all. We had no clue no. what was kind no, of about coming it. at us like a, you know, like a train on the track. Yeah. How about for you? Well, so all my friends are a lot older than me in Somerset. So I've mm-hmm. met, I've been here for 15 years. I've got some lovely girlfriends and they're all, mm-hmm. I was going through the menopause. I didn't know. Mm-hmm. I just sort of had all these horrible symptoms and things. And so I went to my doctor and she did loads of tests. She goes, oh, you're perimenopausal. And I was like, am I? And I was 42. And I was like, is that early? She goes, yeah, it is quite early, but it's fine. You know, you, it takes five years. And I was like, five years and she's like yeah so anyway so I I talked to my girlfriends I was like do you know about this menopause thing and they were like yeah we've been through it and I'm like what why hasn't anyone told me (laughs) you know like no one why doesn't anyone tell you (laughs) so what I decided was when I'd gone through mine I was like right I'm going to tell everyone what they need to do so I'm a bit like a kind of you know being a bit annoying to all my younger friends I'm like Mm. you've got to go on HLT you've got to do this you know Mm -hmm. all the things that have helped me but I'm on everything I mean I don't care I'm just like (laughs) on the gel I'm on the pills you know I'm like downing everything every single day because I need to be happy and one of the Mm. things I found was that actually I was quite a depressed person from 15 onwards when I started getting my periods I think I just had a hormone imbalance because now that my hormones are balanced I'm actually quite happy every day and I don't wake up with that sort of black cloud over my head you know yeah Yeah. I mean I guess when you've been through addiction as well you look at whether there are mental health issues that you need to deal with whether depression you know clinically diagnosed depression might be part of who you are and how your hormones might affect you must have been very aware of all of that having had that counselling I guess. Yeah, absolutely. I guess there's a lot of reasons why things are okay now, which is obviously I am creating because obviously, you know, I was in a band and it wasn't very creative being in a band. All I did was sit on a bus with a whole load of sweaty men and then get up on stage and sing for an hour and then go back in a bus again. So it wasn't exactly very nice. And as soon as I started I started with the lace curtains, dyeing all this lace and putting up and then and doing up our houses because we would sort of flip them. We'd buy, that's how we made our money, yeah. buy a house, flip it. And then, and so that's when I started to think, oh, actually, this is quite fun, you know, and actually enjoyed that life rather than just sitting on a bus. It's kind of cool, like with lots of different things, obviously going through the menopause and then being on medication for that has really helped. I can honestly say that I do wake up and think, oh, I feel quite joyous. Yeah, that's wonderful. Just go look in the mirror. As long as the mirror, it's fine. I love that, feeling joyous and then looking for the joy, as you say, reaching for the joy. It's really nice. And I mean, you are a healthy person. You're you're a vegetarian. You obviously don't, you don't, drink you live a pretty healthy life I mean are you an exercise person how do you look after yourself what else do you do swim every day and Mm -hmm. I walk the dogs every day so I swim I've got local members club down the road and Mm -hmm. it takes me about 10 minutes to get there and I I go every single morning whether it's seven or eight o'clock in the morning and I swim every day and then I have a steam then I have a coffee and then I come home and I start work Mm -hmm. so it's great so I have my little routine I take the dogs for a walk it's very important for my mental health to, Mm -hmm. to do those things and also because I'm 
I've recently really, I need to, I know lots of people are talking about ADHD and, 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 mm. and sort mm. of, um, but I think I'm, I'm ADHD and I think that I'm going to maybe look, explore, mm. not that it, it's probably completely useless now, but um, I have like repetitive thoughts and I'm a bit OCD. So I kind of, yeah. so I need the routine. Can we talk about being with someone for 27 years? Oh, no, I know. <laughs> um, and how long have you been? You've been married since, when did you get married? How long um, have you been married? 2008. We tried, right. To get, right. So we tried to get married in 1998, but I was already married, but I didn't know. Well, I did know, <laughs> but I had never got a divorce. It was so awful because everyone, we were getting married. We booked this sort of place in solution with our families. Everyone had bought their flights and everything. And then we were like, oh no, like I'm, I got to get a divorce first. And then it didn't, so they all went and we didn't go. <laughs> so they went on a holiday. Anyway, I still got the dress. I bought this kind of like Dolce & Gabbana, like crochet thing that Betty wears now, which is hilarious. <laughs> then we tried to get married again. And then I got freaked out about the weather because it was in the summer and we we're going to do it all outside. And then it ended up being the hottest day of the year. And I was really pissed off myself. And then, it, then I got pregnant with Betty and then it was like, okay, we'll do it. So finally did it in 2008 at Babington House um, mm-hmm. it was like a winter wonderland web- wedding oh. that I didn't have to worry about the, the weather and it was snowing and it was great and it was all fun oh. and everything and we've yeah we've been together 27 years he's younger than me when I met him I just thought he was some you know young kid that we'd be mates for the night and then <laughs> I don't know. He just pursued me. And then I came back to London and he lost my number. Because in those days, there were no mobile phones. Mm-hmm. He lost my phone number. And he had to pretend he was his tour manager and get in touch with the wrong press officer. He'd sort of rang <laughs> the wrong press officer. And they said, we don't look after her, but we can get hold of her. And then I was like, what? Anyway, we've been together 27 years. He's lived through everything you've you've lived through, hasn't he? And, yeah. and Supergrass are back on tour, aren't they, again? Yeah. So it's, it's a whole yeah. change of life. <laughs> Yeah, it's weird because they've reformed, they're going to write new material, they're back, you know, it's been amazing, like everyone's so excited and everything. But what's so weird is hearing those songs, but being 27 years later, <laughs> older, it's sort of like, instead of wanting to stay out all night and partying, it's like, can we just go back home now? Can we go to the hotel? <laughs> it's such a weird thing because it's the same songs. And you know how music takes you back? Yeah, but then you're so much older. It's weird. You said in one interview that you, what you thought made it work was that he's a little bit forgetful, Danny. You have to sort of look after him as well, so you had to be sensible to look after him. So it was kind of a good balance. Yeah, we're a really good balance. He's actually grown up quite a lot since then. Maybe for since that interview. No, I don't know. I don't know when it was. But um, but no, he's um. We're, we're like best, best mates and he makes me laugh. I think that's the funniest, that's the thing that keeps, that glues us together is the fact that we make each other laugh. Like we just laugh a lot. Oh God, he irritates me and I irritate him. You know, sometimes we don't talk for days, you know, we just, we are like sort of best friends that sort of argue all the time. He's such fun. And also he's the most incredible dad. Kids adore him and really good. Of course, the thing about midlife is that we are in that sandwich, rearing children and having aging, potentially sick parents. And you've talked very movingly, Pearl, about losing your dad, Eddie, in 2016. I mean, you're yeah. so close to your parents. Yeah. Um, that's a really hard thing to go through as well. And how how did you cope with that? And how's your, your mum coping? Well, yeah. It was horrific. There's not a day that goes by that I don't think about him. I mean, he was so funny and this incredible guy that would, I guess he was such a massive character. So to lose him was 
devastating. And for my mum, because he was her soulmate and they've been together 56 years because mm. she's 82 now and she lives in London. And I've got two older brothers. So they, uh, you know, they live yeah. on the corners to her and I'm in Somerset and it's hard because I go up every single week to see her but it's not enough do you know what I mean it's kind of like I feel so guilty all the time because I don't live there and I she'll come and stay and for a few days here and there but she doesn't really like to quite far away and mm. hard. it's mm. just it's just horrible and I still can't really look at pictures of him because I just mm. what, what advice have you got for people going through that now because I think it's something a lot of our listeners will be dealing with I try and do when I meet my mum is is make her laugh and bring you know bring again the joy joy you know and just tell her funny stories and mm. you know pick her up for lunch and spoil her and buy her presents just do things like that it must be so horrible for her mm. but she's still in the house that they lived in and still talks about him like he's there you know it's mm. just like your dad loves that or you know what I mean it's oh, kind of yeah it's so hard but I think time is an amazing healer for mm. a start like I, it was so painful when he for the first couple of years when he past because not only was he a dad to me but he was a dad to Daisy as well and he mm. would, when we lived in Camden he would loved taking her to school every morning and he'd pick her up every single morning and take her to school and and uh, she was so close to him her and I we, our grief is together you know we mm. often talk about him and if we're having a wobbly day we'll, we'll speak about it but it's it time is an amazing healer it's definitely not as painful as it was but it, he's there all the time and you've been renovating a house again haven't you a 19 I think it's a 1940s beach house in East Sussex you've written a book Faded Glamour by the sea as well which is helpful what are your main your top five pearl low interior tips because I'm useless at it Trish is into interiors I've got no patience with mess I can't bear mess or change which doesn't bode well generally what if someone was looking to to refurb or renovate something where do you start and how do you deal with all of that oh i know because danny's now thinking that he wants to get somewhere else i'm just thinking oh (laughs) we've only just done this one with this one i just sort of thought right i'm going to keep it the aesthetic the same and just because obviously it's by the beach i thought well i'll just do it all off white and and then i started reading about Robert Kime, who sadly has just passed away, but he 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 always said start with a rug, and I thought mm-hmm. that's brilliant. So I started getting these kind of like on Etsy, they do these amazing sort of Turkish, but they're quite colourful. Um, these rugs, and they look—I don't even think they are antique, but they really look antique. So I started buying those, and then I thought, okay, well I'll match curtains with them, and so you just start building rooms from. Just a rug, which ah, is um, from the rug. Doing it, yeah, a good, good way of doing it. Um, and then I love sourcing locally because I've always feel like it's so important to buy local, especially with vintage and antiques. It's, especially now, everyone's struggling since Brexit. Yeah, so I bought everything in Hastings and Rye and all the local places. And I think I've just added quite a lot of plants, um, <laughs> plants which are kind of dying because I've got brown fingers, not green fingers. Yeah. Me too. <laughs> so the book is out now, and I'm sure that's got lots of really helpful tips yeah, for anybody does. who wants more. Of your, you've got such a beautiful eclectic style. And have you got any other projects on the horizon? What does autumn bring? Autumn, yeah, autumn's bringing quite a few things. I've got capsule knitwear collection coming up, which um, I'm really excited about, which we we shot yesterday. And then I've got a wallpaper range. So I'm just doing three 
styles i'm just keeping it really simple like mm-hmm. just and you know kind of because i don't i've never done wallpaper from my own website before so i don't know how it's going to go and i might add fabrics later on and stuff mm-hmm. but um that's exciting and that's at the end of the month and i've also got a velvet collection so i'm doing so my velvet dresses i just do this one style that i bring out every year and i add a color and it does really really well and um they're all sort of like floor length. I've decided to expand the velvet range and bring in mm-hmm. some new styles and velvet dressing gowns and things like that. So that's it. I mean, that's what's sort of keeping me busy at the moment and obviously still promoting the book. That'll all be on your website then? Yeah, polo.co.uk. Brilliant. And I've got lots of antiques and vintage. So I started doing that, which is mm-hmm. bringing me the most joy is um, finding things because I'm a hoarder mm-hmm. in cupboards and things <laughs> and putting them up on the website and people are buying it and it's so nice, you know. Oh, so, spreading oh, the joy, spreading, spreading the vintage joy. joy. Love it. Oh, well, thank you so much, Pearl, for coming on Postcards from Midlife. It's been so wonderful to talk to you. It's lovely talking to you. Thanks for having me Thanks, on. Thanks, <laughs> When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. So, Lorraine, it's finally happening, the moment I've been dreading for about 18 years and six months, exactly. My twins are off to university in a few days' time. It's going to be empty nest, and I know daughter number two is leaving the candy household imminently for a life of academia and overdoing the tequila and tattoos, or whatever it is students get up to (laughs) these days. Yes, indeed, she is. Number two is off. It's a very traumatic time for uh, everyone, for all the parents and caregivers with children um, of all ages. It's such a time of transition, isn't it, September, whether they're going to university, they're heading into the big exam year or college or starting um, secondary school. I've got one of each, my littlest one, number four, is off to senior school. It's very hard to get through, isn't it? It is, it is, especially when you've got four children like you, so it's happening all the time and I know you are the parenting expert in this partnership but given all the changes we're facing and everything you've had to do to get them all ready for it all um, I thought I would take the opportunity this week to speak to an expert to see what we can do to ease the transitions because for me one of the biggest fears is about losing that connection you have that you get from everyday living because when they're older teens you don't really don't always get to chat to them that much and it's those little kind of moments in the kitchen that you kind of really bond and what's going to happen 
I mean, am I going to hear from them? When I do hear from them, is it just going to be a grunt down the phone? <laughs> How did you navigate this challenge in the relationship when Sky went? Well, I think you have to be mindful of the kind of communicators they are normally, because that doesn't really change. So number one is very communicative in our household number two less so so I put probably will be putting in more effort to stay in touch and connect with number two but what I would say Trish is they do come back a lot and they do need a lot and thank God for FaceTime and WhatsApp and all the ways in which we um, can connect with them but I am keen to hear uh, about transitions from an expert because all of mine are at different stages and I'm having to balance that so have you got some new advice for me? some new ideas yes well I met this really interesting woman it was at one of those women's networking events and I got chatting to her and she's called Dr Gory Seth and she's a medical doctor and emotional intelligence coach who works with parents who want to enhance connection with their children at at kind of any age Um, and it also helps to boost their resilience their emotional intelligence and well-being improve family life and dynamics I mean we all want a bit of that don't we we? and she's kind of used scientific insights from her experience in psychiatry and psychology therapy to create this thing called brain-based connection coaching and she offers these programs which can help as I said with whatever stage you are in parenting journey. Yes connecting is the key so um, what does she say about uni students then how do we stay connected yeah, to that? Let's, let's start with those so um, actually it kind of you have to start with connection overall in turn this is, is this relates to any age that your children are and she says that the most important thing within any family system is creating connection and you need to think of it like a wi-fi uh, connection you can't see it but you know it's there because it's working and when it's not working you really feel it right because it's right. disruptive so like like we have sometimes on our little zoom oh, recordings our wi-fi you know, connection is a oh, disaster exactly. it can, you know you can't see the person very well you can't hear them it's really kind of disruptive and that's what it's like with emotional connection too so it can come and go and it can go up and down and you just need to be able to know how to kind of manage it and reconnect and and she says about off to you so I said what do I say to them and she says you just need to be honest and open with them about how you're feeling now as a parent and you don't want to be ladling loads of guilt and worry on them but you just want to say something like I want to always feel connected to you um, even though we aren't in the same city anymore because your best interest your well-being and you will always be at the front of my heart and obviously words to that effect you you make it your own and and to say like I'm really proud of you and I'm really excited for you and I want you to have a great time and I'm always here for you because if they can go off having heard something like that if they have a good connection with home they are likely it's proven to have a better time at college because they know that mum or mum and dad or their carer have got their back they're happy for them and that will help them to settle in and be less anxious in the first place. Yeah, I think the key is you have to tell them what you Mm -hmm. feel and and what you would like to happen as well Mm -hmm. and discuss that and listen to how they would like to do it because the actual physical parting, how they want to do it and how you want to do it, I found is often very different. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, And I feel like you need to listen to them, but you need to say how that may make you feel if you don't get the chance to do that moment. So that's about them feeling confident, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Knowing that they're going away loved. But what about the rest of us left at home weeping on the floor? (laughs) Wandering round rooms, wishing there were wet towels everywhere, looking for 
coffee cups yeah, with terrible things growing in them. Exactly. It's like all the horrors. But um, but yeah, Nagori says that emptiness can be very painful and it can be triggering all transition points, um, you know, yeah. create emotional turbulence. Mm-hmm. And, and it can often reveal something that you might not even be aware of. So she says this is a really good time to just be really kind to yourself and try and observe your feelings and emotions. So just acknowledge how you're feeling. I'm feeling angry. I'm anxious. I'm low. And say that's okay. And, you know, as all the good sort of therapists say, you have to kind of turn towards these difficult emotions, don't you? And kind of face them and sit with them. Think about where you're feeling it physically. What am I worrying about specifically? And and you can sort of note it down in a non-judgmental way because that will sort of help you kind of understand it. It might be that you found leaving home or going to university really, really unsettling and hard. And and you're worried that your kids might experience that. So you you need to try and be curious and compassionate and non-judgmental mental and maybe talk to a friend about it we'll, we're going to be doing a lot of talking about this yes need your advice or a professional therapist obviously if if you feel that you're really really struggling with it and you have um, that open to you yeah I think it's about supporting yourself isn't it as much as yeah. supporting them and checking where your resilience is but also remembering their experience is totally different from yours mm. and you can't overlay your emotions on that that all makes sense it's such a work in progress so really we're talking about the early days and staying in touch uh, while they're away we didn't set up times to call when our eldest left home we didn't have a kind of rigid thing I just was really mindful during the day to think I wonder what she would be doing Mm -hmm. and moments when I knew she might have an exam or when she might be being in you know moving into a different flat all those kind of things those moments I kind of noted down and I would send her a text saying do you want to talk about it because often they don't really want to have a great long conversation with you about it and for her to tell me what time of the day was a good time so I was always calling around half six and she was like oh I'm doing my thing now I did stop Mm. calling this time of the day so I think just to be aware of that but they are a bit hopeless uh, phone calls so my eldest is quite good at connecting as I say number two who's leaving it's it's less of a skill for her so how do we stay in touch with those who aren't good at calling us well this is the problem so Gory says that when children don't tell you what's going on or want to reveal their emotional landscape that's quite normal a lot of kids don't want that and you might have one that wants to tell you everything and one that doesn't want to tell you anything so you can't judge the situation don't judge them don't judge you it's perfectly normal so um she says maybe with those kind of children if you've got the time hopefully before they go try and spend as much quality time together as you can like you know get them to art you know suggest things to do together love bomb them just really spend that time kind of you know strengthening the connection right before they go and then you know they should start opening up she's always advocates as well that you try and give third person examples so you use uh, because kids are very good at they don't want to be told what to do or what to say but if you give an example of what another person did in a scenario that can be helpful because you might want to say oh I didn't really like talking to my mum at this age um, and you know I didn't know what to do either when I was leaving home so we can work that out we can see how it goes so it's that thing of your understanding and you're listening to them so if you bring another person's um, you know perspective into the mix and you know interesting some parents and children can be more connected miles apart than they can <laughs> room together can actually help strengthen that bond but it is that thing of I suppose just trying to establish how often are you going to connect is it going to be a whatsapp is it going to be a family zoom is it is it going to be whatever and you can try and sort of 
put that in place before they go. But then you're going to have to go with the flow, aren't you? Because they yeah. are facing something totally new, um, I would say. And they're separating and they have yeah. to separate and be independent. We would often send pictures of the dogs. So we use the dog as a form of communication, <laughs> you know, because they do miss the things that happen at home. They're removed from so much of what was part of their life. Now, what will I do, though, about my little Mabel, oh, baby Mabel, as baby we call her, Mabel. even though she's nearly 12? Yeah. Um, she's off to senior school it's a totally new school she doesn't know anyone there um, it still feels like a huge step to me what's the advice around that yeah I mean you have done it three times but it's still yeah. she's your baby isn't she and, and this of course yeah. is about letting go as parents because they start wanting their independence you know going to big school that's what it's all about they want to do things for themselves and and your job here is to give them the confidence that they can do things for themselves they can pack their lunch or their PE kit they have the self-esteem to figure things out for themselves that is going to give us confidence and solace I think and we have to just be less proactive and let them develop their own muscles for thinking and problem solving and decision making which I think you know we, we can sort of just tend to kind of helicopter in but you want them to feel that mum and dad are there if they need you but just not on top of everything so if things go wrong if they forget their PE kit if they forget their lunch try to remember what it was like when you did that because we all did that right or we felt lonely because we found it difficult to make friends and we all learned strategies ourselves to cope it wasn't our parents who solved it for us no so it's thanks to those difficult moments that kids learn to adapt and cope yeah and of course all that emotional connection stuff the wi-fi stuff we've talked about at the beginning of this chat that all really really applies here and let them kind of come home and if they're upset because they've been split up from friends or whatever just just be there for them sit beside them while they talk about that but don't try and solve it for them don't fix it, feel with, not deal yeah. with, as Philippa Perry told us. It all makes great sense, doesn't it? I think we should also chat a little bit about boundaries because lots mm. of new things are happening. And so we need to set boundaries because boundaries make children and teenagers feel really safe. You may feel like you're disciplining them. Actually, it's giving them something to lean against, which is really useful. How do you do that yeah. and keep connection going as well? This is a really important one for kids going into exam years, isn't it? Because things do have to change. And again, it comes back to that. If you have the connection, the emotional connection, they will respect your values and rules because they will feel respected too, because you have that open dialogue and communication. Anyone who sets boundaries in a dominant authority style if that somebody did that to you you know you're not going to relate to that me and margot isn't it trish <laughs> yes i'm not you're... stealing with what she's telling no, me to do exactly. she's staring at me now look over there she's <laughs> saying, setting me a boundary as you she, speak yes you've joined me mm. in the house once again yes. for recording but Margo's i think it's because you can't get enough of her actually you asked me to come and record here there's a, it's not because there's building and banging going <laughs> should on be having house. a boundary conversation <laughs> with margot Exactly. But again, it's just about explaining the thinking behind the rules. So if you need to change things because they need to be studying more, doing revision more, again, you you kind of explain the rationale. Yeah, it sucks at the moment, but you have to give it your best chance. We love you so much. We want you to do well. You know, of course, we have the power of hindsight and maturity, but we want them to have autonomy to make choices themselves. So we can't squash their autonomy and boundaries with boundaries and rules, but we just want them to know that they're there for them and as you say to make them feel safe and to do well I do keep saying this to all the parents on the Facebook groups they come back from university Mm. 
university. Mm-hmm. They come back so much. They are around as much as they can be. You don't lose them forever. They come back for the holidays, for the summer. And, you know, you, you see them probably a little bit less than you saw them when they were teenagers going out on Friday night and you didn't see them till Sunday afternoon. So don't worry too much. Um, mm-hmm. I will be filling your time. Trish, while your twins are away, I will become your in-house teenager for you. Exactly, my third teenager. You will be collecting me drunk from a variety of venues on a Friday night, if that's okay. (laughs) Excellent. Anyone who wants to find out more about brain-based connection coaching or would like to find out about Dr. Gory Seth, you can visit her website, brainbasedconnection.co.uk. Bum, bum, <laughs> anyway, I've just hoofed uh, Margot out of the room. Yes. Fish, just FYI. Yes. Um, did you hear I the heard her purring, purring on the mic. We should probably explain that we have to be in separate rooms. When you come and record in my house, we have to be in separate rooms because of the feedback or something technical that we don't understand. So you were locked in a room I'm, with Margot. Yes. Also, because you don't like me sitting too close to you and you're getting... <laughs> touchy feely anyway i'm going we're at nostalgia we're, noodle yeah, we're just here we are distracted yeah and looking back in time as is our way uh had a bit of a sad thing over um the summer recently my uncle mike passed oh, away uncle lovely mike. uncle mike yes. been married almost 50 years three wonderful daughters but my auntie brenda had given me the program for the funeral do you call it a program order of service I yes think the order of yes. service yes and it was very lovely and there was a little line at the end saying tribute to be read from your favorite daughter because they all do that don't they, they all call themselves <laughs> uh, the favorite, favorite daughter yep. Catherine, um who enjoyed nothing more than a pint of tribute with you and i thought what a lovely oh. thing to remember and i was just kind of casting my mind back to the sort of times when you do first start having a drink mm. with your teenagers with your, your parents. parents when you were a yes. teenager yes. and then uh, I was just thinking what wasn't that lovely couldn't think of with my parents because I didn't really they didn't really engage in that I, I guess mm. didn't go out much and didn't really have alcohol in the house and I do remember the one time wine would come out it would be mm. blue nun at Christmas yes, always a bit of blue nun at yes. Christmas and then I remember taking wine back when I grew up saying it's a lovely bottle of wine for you mum and dad and I bought a nice bottle of red wine and my mum put it straight in the fridge and I said well, oh. have you done that? and she said because you told us we have to put wine in the fridge oh, yes, yes. <laughs> anyway it was nostalgia noodling me back to the blue nun the moment. blue nun I know tell exactly. me about blue nun Trish well I've got a, I do have a blue nun story unfortunately which was I think it was my first encounter with wine and we were having a, a Sunday lunch we didn't have a, a lot of alcohol at home either we were having a sort of Sunday lunch thing we had loads of Irish relatives who'd come over and were staying and were visiting for lunch and mum cracked open the blue nun and uh, I got quite stuck in I was quite partial to the blue how nun. how old I, were you I was probably I'm going to say I was about 17 and the reason I say that is because I was going through a slightly pretentious phase and um, <laughs> and I started going on about James Joyce which oh is not Lord. what you do at the lunch table with your Irish relatives because I was so drunk mum had to put me to bed and then obviously even <laughs> what are we talking 45 years on guess what happens every time I see those relatives James don't Joyce. Have me. you read oh. any James Joyce lately? That kind of thing. They don't forget. They don't forget. It was quite. I was quite mortified when I woke up with a blue nun hangover. I have to say, <laughs> there's nothing like a blue nun hangover oh, in an Irish yeah, family. Exactly. When do they still make it? I don't know. 
But we've got a real nun in our family, so that what, trumps having. Oh a yeah, who, remind me again. Auntie who is Maura. it? Auntie Maura. Oh, Auntie Maura. Yes, Auntie Maura. Maura. Yeah, yeah, she's fabulous. Well, that brings us to the end of Postcards from Midlife and our special guest, Pearl Lowe. New episodes are available to listen to every Sunday on your podcast provider. And we would really appreciate it if you can make sure to download your episodes so they count on our listener numbers. And if you could rate and review us too, that would be most marvellous. And do tell all your friends about us. We want as many women as possible to join in the Midlife Conversation, which is what our private Facebook group is all about. And if you go on our private Facebook group, you will get news. You will be the first to know about our live show in May next year on May the 19th and 20th in London at the Design Centre. We're very excited about that. We're going to be announcing the lineup um, over the period of this series. So join the private Facebook group, answer a few questions and then Trish lets you in get mm-hmm. past the past the rope the vip <laughs> trish halpin rope and you can join in the chat we will be able to welcome you to the show yes exactly and of course you can use the facebook group to post any feedback on the topics we discuss and also suggest things you'd like to hear talked about and you can email us at hello at postcards from or pop a little message on instagram goodbye goodbye Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.